Hello, and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Helen keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Chijong, culture writer and critic. This week, we're discussing House of the Dragon and The Rings of Power, two IP franchise fantasy shows that are hoping to cement themselves into the TV history books for their respective networks. Oh, the pressure is on. Yes. Uh, So the way it's going to work in this episode is... We're going to first discuss House of the Dragon, then we'll move on to the Rings of Power, and then finally we're going to directly put them up against each other head-to-head and deliver our respective verdicts, I guess, on on how this war is going. It lends itself to it. Two shows basically about war and power, and uh, they're coming out at the same time, and so we will frame it in the way that it's set. Yeah, it's kind of unavoidable that we do it this way, like, as much as it may be apples to oranges like this is kind of how 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 it has to be in the, in the context that they've come out yeah they're competing for our time so we will uh measure that anyway yeah. it's been three weeks jenny how have you been what's new oh god yeah it's been it's been a long time it feels a little bit strange but also <laughs> nice i'm not gonna it feels lie great. yeah yeah so, like yeah. i've been watching home reality makeover trash that i've been putting off like totally brainless stuff i've been oh yeah catching up on like older seasons of project runway Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. yeah basically filling my time with all of this stuff and it 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 feels good i think that i never have to talk about any of that stuff or think about it in like a slightly more intellectual high level way no you really don't you really don't bring it back do you know what i mean like not everyday critique Um, always yeah always but yeah that is um me for the most part and what about you pelin how how have your travels your time abroad uh how has that been for you uh, it's been great. I got up at 4am this morning. So oh the yeah. Europe clock is still in me, baby. No, it's been great. Um, honestly, I fell in love with Paris because I'm a simple girl that loves life's luxuries. And yeah. uh, Paris is nothing but luxury, honey. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. I had like some of the best pastries of my life. Um, had some incredibly buttery and white wine fueled food. Ooh, um, yeah. So, oh, and um, randomly... Bjork sat next to us when we were sitting on the Euro <laughs> I think I saw your tweet about this. Are yeah. you so it was legitimately like definitely it was Bjork? A hundred percent. She came with her with this young woman uh-huh. and Andrew is who was right next to me googled her daughter and it was the woman sitting oh in front of God. her so it was 100 percent her yeah and the joke the reason why jenny is asking this for those of you that don't know is because i i went up to her before we got up to leave to get on our train and was like i'm so sorry are you bjork and she was like <laughs> she just literally this was her no and i was like okay <laughs> like a pregnant pause and then no and like smiling at me as she was saying it and then i smiled back and i was like great safe travels um <laughs> I just like kept walking, but it just cracked me up because it was like, there's no way it wasn't her. She was dressed insane, you know, okay. like just classic Bjork. Yeah. Um, and she was really sweet, honestly. Like her luggage bumped into Andrew's luggage, like my husband's luggage. And she was just like, pardon, like thinking we were oh. French or some shit. But it was great. Wow. Um, I had a lovely time. I am happy to be back. I'm happy to be back in shitty little New York <laughs> with its terrible urban planning and even worse architecture. You know, the perils of a new city. What are you going to do? Yeah. It's what it is. I love it here always. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's uh, let's get into it. Yeah. Let's crack open this fucking mess of, of a Pandora's box. <laughs> um, 
So what is your pick this week? Which one of you decided to take upon yourself, Jenny? So I am going to talk about House of the Dragon, which is, of course, on HBO. And if you do not know what this is, which I, I wow. highly doubt. I'm you, so you jealous don't, if but... you don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is the, I think, highly anticipated prequel series to uh, the Game of Thrones, which uh, was created by George R. Martin and the co-showrunner Ryan Condal. And the other showrunner on this first season was Miguel Sapochnik, who directed uh, some of the episodes of Game of Thrones originally. Um, he's departing after this season, so he's no longer co-showrunner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and just a note, this discussion will take place in the context of the first seven episodes. Yeah, which is how many we've seen as of the time we're recording this. There will be an eighth episode coming out actually this sunday evening so it'll already be out by the time that this goes episode goes out but yeah whatever um it's fine so house of the dragon is adapted from the fictional history book which is sort of like the in-universe history book fire and blood mm-hmm. um which is sort of like george r martin's uh a, a companion book to the actual a song of ice and fire novels Mm-hmm. Um, and so the series is set about two centuries before Game of Thrones during the Targaryen Civil War of Succession, which is also known as the Dance of the Dragons. It's going to be a lot to sort of talk about what actually transpires in this show. So right. I'm just going to kind of leave it at that and say that it has a very extensive cast, just like Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the main players that we see throughout this are the Princess Rhaenyra Targaryen, played by Emma Darcy primarily, her mm-hmm. father, King Viserys, uh, played by Patty Constantine, um, Viserys' second wife, Queen Allison, uh, played by Olivia Cook in, in the later episodes, mm-hmm. who was Rhaenyra's best friend, turned stepmom, turned rival slash enemy at a point. Right. Viserys' younger brother, Prince Damon, played by Matt Smith. And then uh, a whole lot of other people, like you're talking, but basically they're going to be two sides, two factions, two warring factions. And so you have all the people that Mm -hmm. go on either side of that faction from other royal houses to uh, knights to both Rhaenyra's children and Allison's children. So many, many more. So only going to sort of top line mention those ones. So getting more into the series, I think... It's helpful to remember the context in that it was, in some ways, like, I think an attempt at redeeming this TV, potentially, you know, TV franchise, uh, mm-hmm. after the disappointing way that Game of Thrones ended. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. it was a test to see as well, like, if the world had moved on from Game of Thrones. Right. Like, was the, right. the final season just so disappointing that, Nobody wanted to ever pay attention to anything ever again, as as many right. people did swear after I they, after they watched the finale. I think so. They put two hundred million dollars into production, a hundred million dollars in marketing. They promised and they delivered on George R. R. Martin's heavy involvement in the show. They also mm-hmm. promised to bring more diversity to the table mm-hmm. in casting. Um, more focus on like women and less on sort of like sexual abuse of women. So mm-hmm. in many ways, you know, they were sort of gearing up to, to try to come back in a way that I think the, the network or the creators was like, this is going to be the right way to come back if we're going to do right. this. So has the world moved on from Game of Thrones? 
What is your answer, Pellin? Just, you know, briefly after watching these episodes of the House of the Dragon, are you still in or not? I'm still in, but I do I do want to preface by saying that like we live in a different world from the time that we were watching this and like I know that everyone thinks that like the pandemic is over and whatever, but the whole point of Game of Thrones back in that day when it was first coming out was it was like the water cooler show, like the the show that you talked about the next day after mm-hmm. work. I mean after the weekend, like on a Monday or whatever. Um, and everyone would talk about it and everyone would like have watch parties and whatever. And, and don't get me wrong, the part of that is still happening now because people are back in the offices. But there is a part of it that feels very like internal to com- compare to external before. Mm-hmm. I'm still in. The reason why I'm still in is because I always have room for decently executed fantasy shows. I think it's yeah. really hard to get them right. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into whether or not I like this a little bit later. But for the most part, I'm in because... I know this world like we've already we've there's millions and millions of people around the world that have been primed to know this world because Mm -hmm. the work has already been put in it's been like five six years of Game of Thrones before and don't get me wrong like Game of Thrones was not airing live in the UK back when I was watching it Mm. I was illegally downloading that shit (laughs) and I was watching it with my friends over Zoom Mm -hmm. or like sorry over like Skype Mm -hmm. (laughs) Zoom. There was no Zoom then. <laughs> anyway, so so it, I still found a way to watch it the same way that I'm watching it now. Um, and the cultural conversation was so hyped up because there wasn't nothing like it before. I think that's the difference is the thing that makes it strong is also the thing that weakens it in that we like it because we're familiar with it, but we also don't like it because maybe we're over familiar with it. and We've already yeah. seen these themes or we've seen the the way that this world works and it's not really saying anything new. Yeah. And I think we are also, gre- we're a greedy bunch now when it comes to TV. We are constantly seeking for something new. Um, yeah. And we're so critical of anything that reminds us of anything, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, that's, that's a good that's, point. That's, that's a good yeah. point. Like it is, both to its benefit and also potentially uh, a drawback that it borrows so very heavily from, you know, its predecessor. Like, it's not trying to yeah. reinvent the wheel. Like, even everything down to, like, the the opening theme song, mm-hmm. that is the exact yeah. same track that was the opening theme song for Game of Thrones. Exactly. Yeah. So it's really, like, putting itself very firmly in the, yeah. the, the sort of footsteps that uh, yeah. Game of Thrones blazed for it like the the trail yeah blaze uh for better for worse yeah like there's a part of me that's like i get it because it's like a wink and a nod as if to say to the audience we know why you're here you know and we're not trying to get away with it or do anything new Mm -hmm. but is that the like the easy way out i don't know i'm I'm still trying to decide yeah like we're we're doing what we did before but we're we're trying to do it a little bit better even or even if we can't deliver maybe on um just the all-encompassing, like, like Game of Thrones really was sort of like the peak of, or the last breath of of monoculture, if you believe, yeah. if you believe some people, monoculture and yeah. like TV viewing. Um, yeah. So we can't quite recreate that magic, but we're gonna come as close to it as we can, mm-hmm. and yeah. maybe make a uh, a few other like small improvements along the way that that exactly. are more suitable for the time that we find ourselves in now. Yeah. So it is very much like palace intrigue political scheming alliances and rivalries which these are a big part of game of thrones of course um but i I think one really interesting thing is that especially in the early episodes we get a lot more of if not romance then at least dalliances and not yeah and and specifically for like from like the female point of view like this show is very much 
at its core, it's about the Princess Rhaenyra and the Queen Allison and sort of their complicated relationship and how that ripples out and affects everything. And so I was really interested, actually, like in the early episodes, which are set at the beginning of whatever transpires in this conflict. So Rhaenyra mm-hmm. is still young. Allison is still young. They are best friends and maybe even more. There are suggestions that, you know, potentially they're, they loved each other in some way. Um, yeah. it's very like soapy in a way and uh, yeah. very, very much centered on female desire, which I think is an interesting choice because the show is very much sort of leaning into that direction of, uh, womanhood and sexism at its heart. And in a way that's like slightly different from what happened with or how people talked about how Game of Thrones was approaching the same topic of womanhood and, and sexism. Yeah. Cause Game of Thrones, like, I think it's very infamously, you know, there were scenes that so many viewers criticized sharply, um, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. justified or not, like, the, uh, because it showed rape, it showed sexual violence. Um, yeah. and, and the counter to that at the time was like, oh, well, this is, like, how it was in the world, in yeah. the sort of medieval world. Like, this is just yeah. how it would have been. And, like, yeah. sure, that's true to an extent, um, but this show is kind of putting that front and center in a way that is different from its predecessor. And Alison Herman, yeah. uh, for The Ringer, of course, she wrote, like, a, a really nice piece about how the show exactly is, like, framing that and putting that in, in the foreground. And, yeah, I mean, I kind of... I had to like think about whether or not I liked the way that the show was approaching this. Like it, it, mm-hmm. it has like some horrific birthing scenes, um, within just yeah. a few episodes, but it really does come down to like, you know, if this is like war, like a woman's version of war and the danger of dying, it, it, it does come down to childbirth in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, I kind of like that it, that it is like this huge epic fantasy. Mm-hmm. It comes down to like these the, these two women. To be to be yeah. honest, yeah. Have you ever heard of the Turkish show? It's called Magnificent Century. It's about no. the true story. Well, true-ish story of the Ottoman Empire, like the, mm. the the hundred years, basically the century in which like the succession to the throne was very much like an internal civil war um, oh. between like brides and families and the children that they that they birth. It reminds me so much of that. And I, really? I do wonder how much of that that they kind of took upon themselves to maybe get inspiration from or just kind of see how the palace intrigue of that works out because it is also between women. Mm-hmm. Like it is between the, the brides and the women that have birthed the children. Um, mm. And there's one particular, there's one particular bride that's like considered to be the most like, you know, the most politically savvy one that really fucked it for everyone. Um, <laughs> anyway, I just, I just mentioned that because I think this is something that has obviously happened within history. Uh, women have in their own way had a lot of power mm-hmm. um, or tried to wield their power, yeah. like whatever limit they had of it. But there is something a little bit like, oh yeah, it sucks to be a woman that they keep banging the nail on yeah. her, on the head of it where I'm just like, I get it. It sucks to be a woman. What what else? You know? Yeah. Um and I will say the latest episode, it's the soapiest one. It's the one that is the most like And this is the one dramatic. After, after the this ten year time jump. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um and I appreciate how much happened in the episode and I appreciate how much we're like, all right, okay, so this is we're all agreeing that this is what it's about now. And everybody, including the characters, are on the same page. That yeah, it is a 
it is an out and out war now. This is like gloves um, off. Yeah, gloves are completely off. Um, and that that's why I like it because again, like it's putting aside the fact that they're women and it's just actually just showing what they really want, which is power. Um, ultimately, at the end of the day, like yeah, it's kind of like you know, it's all been leading up to like case study- studies of like flawed feminine power figures, more or less. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and I I do agree that like the show has not been quite subtle in, in a lot of the instances where it is like hammering this like oh womanhood and and sexism like as, as one of its central themes like it's yeah. especially like you know that many birth birth scenes and and all this yeah. stuff and like pointing out in like a council meeting that that mm-hmm. you know the princess is, is lactating like a lot of this stuff has right. not been subtle uh it is no. more interesting i think when it is more about the complicated female figures and like how yes. they in turn may be vindicated or how they may be mm-hmm. like fucked up and fucking other people up in in different ways but yeah i also think like the centering of like the women and these female characters has helped the show in terms of getting it younger fans and younger Mm. female fans in particular like yeah especially ones who may not even have seen game of thrones like i'm on right tiktok a lot (laughs) there are so many fans of the show and like fan edits and like fan cams and Mm -hmm. part of it is about sure like how hot some of these men are who court these women um but it's it's kind of fun to see like i wasn't actually watching game of thrones when it was happening um it was only like two years a year after it ended that i finally Mm -hmm. started watching it so i missed out on the all the water cooler chat and in some ways it feels like the water cooler stuff is happening online in in a lot of ways in an accelerated way like yeah you have the the female young female fans like the kind of tumblrization of this and then you also have like the memes and like twitter and uh a lot of that i think is driven by maybe like black twitter or black fans who also like really are drawn to um some of the characters like there's this royal house valarian who is allied to the targaryens they made them a largely like black house and black family in this show which was like a conscious decision to try to increase the racial diversity and i think that really helps both in like terms of the quality of those characters a new understanding of them and also how a lot of fans are engaging with them like it's really I love logging onto Twitter and just like seeing what people are saying about yeah, each totally. episode as it happens because yeah. it's really playing with online culture in in a really good way. Yeah, and the the amount of people in this cast, like the ensemble cast, for the most part, you know, like there are protagonists. Don't get me wrong, but the fact that there are multiple people that you can kind of root yourself into, and yeah. the, the beauty of this show is also the fact that your favorite characters can also do extremely questionable shit um uh-huh. and um that's always funny that's always funny to kind of flip that on the head of the of the audience yeah um speaking of do you have like a favorite character that you're rooting behind or anybody that you do like the most yeah i think yeah it's interesting to see sort of where people fall on um like team black versus team green which is what these two warring factions are eventually right. going to be known as yeah uh i think the show has been like building up quite a bit of sympathy for team black or like Rhaenyra's mm-hmm. side I, I mean i think Rhaenyra, the character as well as the performance and the chemistry that character has with other mm-hmm. key players is really nice um but mm-hmm. i'm also very impressed by what they've done to sort of develop 
the Queen Alison's character mm. because mm. they did add more nuance, I think, compared to the book. Right. You can see, like, maybe some of the justification um, that potentially led her to that point. Um, yeah. I think King, King Viserys is, very, is just, like, very funny as a character. Yeah. Like, this yeah. dude is just, he is old. He is falling apart. He wants everyone to get along, and they just won't get along, and it's pissing him off, but he also won't do anything. It's so good. I love Paddy Considine, especially as someone that has, like, watched him growing up. Uh, mm-hmm. in, and he doesn't usually play, like, the nice guy. He's usually... I mean, it depends, but I've I always known him to be, like, playing either a slimy fuck or someone that's a little bit, like, kind of evil. Um, and just seeing him in this role, he's so good in it and i totally get where the fuck he's coming from (laughs) like i don't want to hear all that noise just everybody yeah like you said everybody get along let's just be fucking mature and get on with this shit like what are we even talking about here no i i totally get it i think he's also (laughs) one of my faves um yeah are there who's your who's your other fave or faves if you have multiple oh my god i love damon i love damon matt smith is killing it Um, he's killing it oh he's killing it and yeah. I know that people were clowning him for looking stupid, but I think he's actually kind of hot in this. And uh, yes. yeah, it's, it's, he is, it's, he's convinced me. Yeah, <laughs> he's he just has a way of yeah being the guy in the corner, just judging everyone and cracking up at everybody eating each other alive. Um, yeah, he's also yeah he's the most interesting character out of all of them as well. Yeah, very like depth. morally sort of gray. Like he does yeah. terrible shit. He does yeah. like other shit that maybe isn't supportive of whatever values he might have. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not like necessarily a good guy, but he's not no. necessarily. I don't know. It's just very interesting to watch him. I agree. Exactly. Like, he's a very fun character. Yeah. Um, every every time he's in the mix with all the royals and shit, I'm always excited to see what he does next. And he never disappoints. Like mm-hmm. this latest episode when he's giving advice to Rhaenyra, I'm just loving it because I'm agreeing with everything that he's saying. It's just like, this is so bad and so dark and he is right. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I do like Rhaenyra as well, I will say. Yes, um, uh, for sure. Then yeah. they really made her um like she is the yeah. the ally of the century or yes. or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, uh, she's the beard, baby. Yeah, we we <laughs> love a good beard. Um no, I will say this is a great maybe it's propaganda for or propaganda against the heteronormative family structure because just like <laughs> having having your side things just live with you um and yeah. just like busting out their babies and just hoping nobody notices um shout out to her man she's hilarious like i i have no idea what the fuck she was thinking <laughs> um <laughs> just just having having three kids and yeah Audacity. none of them look like their dad at all um well they look like their real dad but you know what i mean um yeah. it's very fun overall the show and i'm a little bit worried about the number of time jumps that we're getting mm. in like very quick succession right. we've had you know, one where we skip forward a few years, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Second, you skip forward 10 years and then you get the main actresses changing out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think that's also like, yeah, fine. But I think in this episode eight, um, which we haven't seen yet again, but it will already have come out by the time you hear this episode, that is skipping forward, you know, another few years. And that's all within yeah. the, the, the span of just like a few episodes. I guess it makes sense given the source material, which is apparently more focused on the actual war as it sort of blows up um, rather than build up. I wish almost that we had gotten to see some more of the key moments. Like Mm -hmm, it, mm -hmm. maybe it's, it's to the show's credit that it made me care about like Rhaenyra and and the characters, but 
how did yeah. this huge chunk of their lives pass? Like, how did yeah. how did Rhaenyra like find love with this dude? And and yeah. how was their early yeah. motherhood? And how did the yeah. relationship continue to deteriorate between Rhaenyra and Allison? And all these different yes. things. Um, we are just like moving very quickly now, and I think this was supposed yeah. to be like really setting the momentum into motion but in some ways mm-hmm. it it sort of had the opposite effect for me where i was like i yeah. do want this to gear up and, and ramp up but also like look how much stuff we missed like couldn't there have been yeah. like a little bit more balance in sort of the the time dedication and it's tough because what this whole show is gonna be about is hopefully that it's a mainstay for at least like five or six years right so they are trying to like lay the bedrock and lay the foundation and you can't really do that without doing what they're doing which is you know skipping time um and just expository statements from episode to episode that feels unnatural because if 10 years have passed then we won't need these lines um anyway besides that um (laughs) i get it i totally get it you need to like grab people so that they stay um but it does feel like they're grabbing onto the collar of your shirt a little bit too fucking tight um, yeah they're really so you feel like you're forced into the chair yeah um there's no easy way to do this do yeah I, mean? I don't if know i don't know a more elegant solution out of it necessarily. i mean the elegance is that you naturally hope that people will like it if you go slow and they can't risk that you know mm. the the this is what happens when you try to milk it for as long yeah. as you can I so, suppose that's true. Yeah. Um, but overall, you know, I'm 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 having fun. It's hard yeah. to resist like a well produced, like expensive fantasy with with decent writing and a great cast. Um, yeah. If only they could improve some of the lighting and just like the saturation of yeah. colors in the scenes. Yeah. It is. It's yeah. really sometimes it is Tough. pushing it. <laughs> it is tough. I'm. I mean, this is just like something that a lot of people have been complaining about a lot of the time. I didn't really care to entertain it because it's not in our hands. It's what it is. But I, I will agree that this, the one that we saw in episode seven was too much. Speaking of light and dark and such things. Uh, oh, what, yes. Good segue. Yeah. Um, what did you watch this week, Felon? So I'm, I'm taking Rings of Power, which is on Amazon Prime. Um, it's created by Amazon Prime and the showrunners are Patrick McKay and JD Payne, who are, they're like brand never, new, right? They have never, they have never, never done a TV show before. They're, they're ostensibly pretty much in the industry of things. Their credits are very limited. That's um, but kind of yeah, crazy. It's fucking batshit. That's wild. Uh, especially, <laughs> be, especially because it's the most expensive show of all time. Um, mm-hmm. this is the most money that anybody has ever spent on a show. And the fact that, they gave it to a bunch of newbies. It's hilarious, but we're not going to get into white male privilege <laughs> today. Um, that's for another time. Um, so this is uh, apparently a very, very popular show. Um, it garnered 12.6 million views in the first four days that the episode, oh, the first few episodes came that's out. Yep. Um, very high, which is great. And it makes a lot of sense because Amazon Prime was pushing it. Like, I've never seen Amazon Prime push anything before. Um, and so, th- th- you know, this show, it, they started talks for the show in 2017. And, you know, Jeffrey Bezos, you did it. Congrats. <laughs> well done, you. This is a franchise that I think a lot of people are very, very excited about because it is the Lord of the Rings franchise. Um, mm-hmm. That is the IP that it is pulling from. So this is J.R.R. Tolkien's books, obviously. Um including the lord of the rings and then the hobbit 
The Rings of Power essentially tells the story of the second age of Middle-earth, uh, which is about a thousand years before the Hobbit timeline time uh, of that book. And, you know, the quote-unquote, the Rings of Power, like the things themselves, they are the magical objects that have different powers that have been split amongst the different types of people within this world. Um, so ultimately, one can assume that what we're watching in the show is about the creation or the finding of these rings. Um, huge, huge disclaimer. Do not come for me. I have never read the books. I have never really been a Lord <laughs> of the Rings fan. Um, I have seen the films. I enjoyed them. Um, mm. And I have not seen them since they first, since I first watched them in the cinema, like years and years and years Damn. ago. So, th- and this is, I just want this to be uh, a safe space for anybody like me <laughs> that... <laughs> That would like to or is interested in watching this show despite knowing basically nothing, um, ultimately nothing about you're, the lore of this show. You're being like, you're like right now, anyone who's not a fucking nerd, um, yeah. show. Hey, hey, if you're a hot girl, this is still a show for you. I get it. No, I'm kidding. Um, I, it's not even, it's not even that. I, I, I am a fucking nerd. I just never ended up yeah. reading the books as that's a kid. That's fair. That's um, fair. They're pretty, they're quite dense. So it's a lot to, yeah. to sort of get through. I have been enjoying this show. Like, I honestly started watching it because I was like, huh, I know nothing about this. Let's see <laughs> if it piques my interest. And um, and it did. So I'm I'm really excited about this. And when we first started talking about doing this podcast episode and like which one we would pick, um, I think you were like, oh, you seem to really like Rings of Power. Why don't you take Rings of Power? Um, and I'm excited about that because I do... I do like it. You know, in terms of themes, this is much like the Lord of the Rings films about seeking power and what power does to people and Mm -hmm. how morals win out over power, good versus evil. It's very Mm -hmm. much like the age old fantasy subject of of how we get into how this relates back to humanity in the real world, (laughs) you know, like how we relate to these stories. Um, So many, so many characters but I will say that there is something structurally very satisfying about the fact that each world and each place that we are in Middle Earth, we are seeing it through the lens of two people and and through conversations between two people for the most part. So to to kind of break a couple of those down, um, we have Elrond and Durin the Fourth, uh, played by Robert Aramayo and Owen Arthur, respectively. Um, we have Galadriel and Halbrand played by Morfid Clark and Charlie Vickers, Bronwyn and Aaron Deer, uh, played by Nazanin Boniadi and Ismail Cruz Cordoba. And then we've got Nori and the Stranger with the Harfoots, played by Markella Kavanagh and Daniel Wayman. Um, and then obviously we have like the villain of um, Oren, played by Joseph Maul. So I just want your thoughts about this as someone that is <laughs> way more familiar about this world than I, than I am. What were your expectations going into it and how do you feel about it? I was really excited. I I guess you could, on the tiers of like Lord of the Rings fans, I'm maybe like the middle kind of like normie tier, like above the most right. um, have never read anything sort of tier. I've read mm-hmm. The Hobbit. I've read the mm-hmm. trilogy. I've seen the movies. Mm-hmm. I have not gone so far as to read like uh, The Silmarillion and like the mm-hmm. the other sort of appendixes that that some like this is based on for instance right um right. so i'm like sort of mid-tier fan i was so hyped for this and i think yeah i had no idea what to expect as well because mm-hmm. they are mm-hmm. doing this based off of like the barest scraps of source material like they couldn't get yeah. the rights to a lot of the larger major sort of components of J.R. Yeah. tolkien's work i think there are some things that i really like 
and some things that I'm really disappointed by um, mm. in terms of, I think more of it comes down to some of the writing and mm. especially how like exposition is handled. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how mm-hmm. it feels to you, Pellen, because you maybe have like less base knowledge than I have even going into it. Maybe, I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing in terms of enjoyment of the show. Um, but there are like some things where it, it's hard to sort of keep up with what exactly that they're trying to tell us, whether they are giving right. us too much exposition, just like big chunks of wordy exposition at a time. Yeah. Or yeah. whether they're like skimming over something as quickly right. as possible. And then you're right. left going like, Oh wait, where's this? What, who is that? Like what, what is right. the significance of this, this place that we're in or anything like that? So yeah, I've been yeah, struggling yeah. a little bit with that, but mm-hmm. I will say like the episode six, episode six, that mm-hmm. one was like a real game changer for me um, mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of my enjoyment of the show. And I think the show has been getting better. And I, that, that episode, yeah. that standout episode in which everything suddenly seems to start happening. Uh, yeah. That's like a fantastic episode of TV overall. And so I'm, yeah. I'm, that makes me very excited for where the show is going. Yeah. I mean, for, for someone that has no idea really, and just has the memory of the films to go on, um, it's been really working for me. I, I kind of like the information. Also, tonally, just from what I remember from the Lord of the Rings films, there was a lot of that too. Like there was a lot yeah, of Yeah, there was a lot of exposition. In oh Lord my God, so much. Uh, so much earnest statements about how people feel. Um, and it didn't really bother me then. It doesn't bother me now. I actually appreciate the tonal similarities between the, the film and this. For the most part, the reason why I like it is because of the writing, because it does something very simple very well which i think we've gotten to the point now (laughs) just as very seasoned tv watchers in general and i'm not talking about just you and me i'm talking about like everyone now Mm -hmm. um that really wants to see all the like they don't want to see the seams they want to see like this like incredible um prestigious way of weaving in plot lines but Mm -hmm. we've forgotten actually that sometimes you just need to tell people what they need to hear and then we have a narrative drive that is incredibly strong and we have introduced characters where we know exactly what they want and their wants and needs are written all over their face in 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 every single scene and every single one of their actions it's really obvious what it is that they want it relates back to the greatest theme of good versus evil you get to spend a little bit more time that's the luxury of tv and i think the fact that in episode six they were like oh yeah it's not just good and evil it's not just you just do good and good happens or you do evil and evil happens. Like there's crossover all the time. Yeah. Like J.R. Tolkien, like he wrote his, his great works, I guess in the, the age of like rising fascism, like mm-hmm. that was something he was actively concerned about and thinking yeah. about. Yeah. Like his strength and the strength of parts of the films and the strength that's coming out in this one. Yeah. is totally that like, yeah. you can see where the shades of gray might come out or where there is potential yes. for someone to, you know, one moment or one thing in someone's life could have changed them for the course of like, yeah, better or good. Like in the, in the yeah. films as well, you see like Galadriel was there. She was like, you know, I could have been, you know, a great and terrible queen if I had the right, if I had the power at the time, right. like yeah. as cold as a dawn or something like that. And yeah. And you see here, that the threat of it also I, I think what they're doing with Galadriel is quite interesting because she is, is a character yeah. that we're so familiar with um yeah. 
She's like iconic. And it's yeah. how do we give her, how do we not make her exactly the same? Because yeah. obviously she was quite different in her youth. Yes. But how do we give her enough of what people are familiar with that yes. they still gravitate towards her? They recognize her and they, they recognize specifically how she became the version of her that we know even more intimately. And Morphid Clark is so fucking good. She's very good. She's, She's so very good. good. Oh my God. Like, you know how some actors, like, you can tell that they feel self-conscious about the self-seriousness that they have to have. Mm-hmm. Um, it's ju- she just doesn't care, you know? Like, she's just obviously, like, so beyond it. She's so become Galadriel that you just believe. Yeah, no, I, I really I really appreciate this. And I think something that it, it has been critiqued, I think, um, as being overly simplistic and a little bit naive and a little bit pure up until I think this latest episode, obviously. And it's wild. Like, I, I would read those critiques and I'd be like, but that's that's what makes it good like that, that it's like it feels like true fantasy it feels like some i don't have i don't know any 10 year olds that i talk to regularly on a on a day-to-day basis but if i had kids that were like i don't know like eight plus you could watch this with them and they would understand the themes of it and they would also have a good time and they wouldn't be weirded out by it and i think that's enjoyable i think that's fantastic i think that's something that is the strength of fantasy is that it is childlike wonder no matter how dark it gets, at the end of the day, this is a, a completely out of this realm, out of our world, still teaches the moral lessons. Um, and I, yeah. I think that's a huge strength of it. And overall, honestly, like on a week to week basis, I feel good. Like I finish an episode and I'm like, I'm pumped. Like I feel good about it. I feel like that was a good hour of TV. I feel like I saw some visuals that I've never seen before. The visuals are out of oh this world. Oh my god, they're so out of this world. So this <laughs> money, you know? Money. Like <laughs> this is obviously the the like I mentioned, it's the most expensive TV show of all time. They set, ended up spending seven hundred and fifteen million dollars on it. Batshit. Batshit amount of money, but I can see it. <laughs> like I could it's all there. Like from the prosthetics, the makeup, the costume that 100% they're using real silk on this show. Um, the mm. prosthetics, like the fact that they have, it looks like hundreds of extras in orc prosthetics. Mm-hmm. It's insane. Like it looks incredible. The light, the dark, the way that they play with all the different colors of all the different worlds, the way that they use the map, you know, as a transition into new areas of Middle Earth. It's just so exciting. There's something really old worldly about it um, that yeah. I have missed. It is honestly, it, it's quite old school, like true epic sort of fantasy in the yeah. the grandest of like old traditions. Um, yeah, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like it's what what I grew up on. It's what we all grew up on for the most part. And if it's a way to introduce new generations to how these stories can be told, which is yes, simple but really well executed and really makes you feel like you are flipping through the pages of a book you know like that's kind of what it feels like when i'm watching this which i which i appreciate do you have any favorite characters that's my final question before we mm. move on yeah i have a few i think mm-hmm. the pairing of galadriel and and halbrand mm, very yes, good very like good. yeah their chemistry off the charts actually. off the charts yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, huge huge yeah and then I also really love the pairing of Elrond and oh, Durin. Oh my god, they're the best thing about this show. They're my ha- they're hands down my favorite. The way that that feels so small and also so large in terms of like the their narrative drive. 
mm-hmm. in terms of what they need from one another and what that means for their respective, you know, people. Um, yeah. It's fantastic. I really, really love it. I do want to give a shout out to Nori and The Stranger. I think a lot of people have talked about how the Harfoots are the least interesting part of this. Um, I, I kind of sh- I kind of share that opinion. I, I did. I personally, like, I get it. It is the least <laughs> interesting, but I'm still interested. So what's the truth? Fair, do you know what fair. I mean? Like, it's all relative. Um, shout out to my, to my people. Honestly, little people that love <laughs> nature, um, that love to just eat berries <laughs> in the sun. Yeah, the, the, the Harfoots are my people, bro. Um, I was going to say, I, I want to give a shout out to Lenny Henry, who, uh, if you're not British, you might not know who he is, but the fact that Mm-mm. he is in this is blowing my mind. And Child oh, Me who, is... Who does, he, who does he play? He plays uh, one of the Harfoots. So he plays oh. the guy that looks at the stars and all the... Yeah. Oh, like they're yeah. kind of like quasi-leader. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're elder that knows things, basically, with the big book. Um, oh. Yeah, we love Lenny Henry, man. Also, also give a shout out to um, Ismail Cruz Cordova. Oh, hottie. Uh, one of the like kind of original made up characters, Aaron yeah. Deer, one of the made up elves. Just like the physicality of how he's doing those fights. Oh my god! The, yeah, the the stunts, the uh, the camera I mean, work with the it. Camera, yeah. yeah, like yeah, he's it's really cool. He's really compelling. I think he's one of the most interesting characters and he's like a totally original creation. Yeah. And he's also one of the hottest male elves on this show, which is <laughs> mind blowing because elves are meant to be hot. And I'm not yeah, saying it's I'm not kind of. Ugh. Yeah. I'm not saying Robert Aramayo is not hot. He may be for some people beautiful um but me personally i need more so shout out to <laughs> shout out to aaron Deer for providing that um he is yeah he's great he's a great uh rep like replacement for legolas who i had mm-hmm. a massive crush on uh, didn't we up. all you know oh my god yeah were you were you a legolas girl or were you uh aragorn yeah a- aragorn yeah, yeah oh i guess that's what it came down to i think when i was young and i first saw the films mm-hmm. like legolas all the way all the way i think probably a lot of you know, young girls felt the same way. 100%. Now that I'm older, I can appreciate the rugged, grimy charms. Oh, yeah, of the masculinity also. of it all. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get that. I think me growing up was definitely Legolas, and now I would like both. So maybe sure, I've just I become mean, that's, greedier. <laughs> that's, the, that's really the, the only answer. <laughs> always, uh, always pick both. So I think Rings of Power is going to, the finale of it is going to come out later this week, but they've already started production for season two. Mm-hmm. So uh, it seems like well things are going good at Amazon Prime HQ. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, there's no there's no way they can cancel this. Oh, it will be so embarrassing. It's yeah. it's like rich people when they buy a house, they can't just sell the house after they can't afford it. They have to <laughs> they have to keep going. Um, I'm happy about it. I really am pleased about it. I just remember that I did read The Hobbit. <laughs> I just remember oh, that. Oh, nice. And I, and I think I wasn't interested, and that's why I didn't <laughs> read the first book. That's my bad. I have heard that The Hobbit is now boring. Like, in terms of the other books, it is the more boring one. But it is making me want to read the books, and that's great. Yeah. You know, obviously for the for the Tolkien um, estate, <laughs> that's wonderful news for them, yeah. that they've gained a reader today. Um, but I'll keep watching. I'm really enjoying this. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I'm pleased to have, again, like, I'm pleased to have any, like, great big fantasy in the mix so i'm always gonna keep watching too exactly so in lieu of culture notes we are gonna do a comparison of house of the dragon and rings of power the reason for this being is because we have to because everybody's talking about it let's just point at the elephant in the room and also now that we have given you guys some context of what we do and don't like about the respective shows we can actually compare notes and see which one is doing what for who 
and how. Mm-hmm. So yeah. to start us off, how do you feel about how they're approaching the the source material? Yeah, both of them, I think, are doing their best with not much to go yeah. off of. Yeah. I think House of the Dragon, obviously, they have the advantage of George R.R. R. Martin still being you know, alive. Being, yeah, he's, yeah, he's alive. He's in the room, I think, where a lot of it is the creation is taking place. Yeah. Rings of Power is really, they have very, very little to work with. Yeah. Um, and I heard that this wasn't the first pitch in terms of a TV show for it. So mm. they, they tried the whole like Marvel approach where they just focus on one person's story, like Gandalf or like oh, someone else. Interesting. Right. And, and apparently the Tolkien estate, which I think consists mainly in terms of the decision making, like the son of uh-huh. J, uh, J.R.L. Tolkien, um, did, really didn't like that. And then they ultimately like went back and forth because it's since 2017 that they've been going back and forth about it. And then they settled on this, which was essentially like the five minute little story that they have at the beginning of the first film. So yeah, it's interesting. I mean, ultimately, both of them are kind of doing okay with it. I think. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry, that's not the most exciting. No, but you're uh, right. You're right. Point they're, they're, to to come off of. Yeah, this is you know this is why they have the writers' rooms. The writers' rooms are doing their jobs. <laughs> like I I think this is you know giving characters interiority you have to do you can't just look at the book you have to make something up um, and that's where the writers come in and I think they're both doing a good job I think both the rooms are decent rooms they have to be you know especially with with rings of power with such new showrunners i'm sure and i've i follow a couple of the rings of power writers on twitter as well oh very very well seasoned you know i think jennifer hutchinson is one of them she wrote on breaking bad back also mm. um i love her i think she's an amazing writer and she's in the room and you know i trust that everybody knows what they're doing um mm-hmm. and it does look like it so yeah yeah I guess in terms of other things to compare and mm-hmm. contrast, mm-hmm. Um, I do think it's really interesting. And I noted this too, I think when we were texting at some point, Pelon, like yeah. House of the Dragon, I think started out quite strong. I felt Rings of Power was still struggling to like sort of root people in the world to begin mm-hmm. with. And then it, Rings of Power got better, um, yeah. especially again, like rising, that cresting with uh, episode six, that fantastic episode. But even before that, I feel like e- when I was looking at other people watching it, the second they watched like episode two and three, they were like, okay, I'm in. Like, they, yeah, yeah, I think it, it gets better is, yeah. is basically how it is. Um, House yeah. of the Dragon, I think, hooked in a lot of people from the start. Mm-hmm. And then like as it progressed, I kind of feel like even at some moments it got a little bit weaker. So it's yeah. almost like a weird... Um, like they're kind of doing the inverse of each other. <laughs> and yes, yes. It's not like only one can thrive at any given point. Um, but I do think it's it's interesting how the, the progression of both oh, of those. Totally. And I think what's interesting about House of the Dragon is because what we liked about Game of Thrones was the different environments of the different families. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the Baratheons and the Lannisters and like all the different and the Targaryens and like how they felt different every time we went to them or we cut to that family. The environment was entirely different from what we'd seen from like King's Landing as well, for example. Mm-hmm. And that felt so big. Like it felt like a very, very large world. We felt like we were in a huge, huge universe. And yeah. I think for for this one, for House of the Dragon, because we're primarily in one place, yeah. it feels really small. And like I know that they spent a lot of money, smaller. but it definitely feels smaller than Rings of Power, which has taken that lesson from Game of Thrones and applied it to their own show. So like the map of Middle Earth and the way that it transitions from one area to another makes it, again, feel big, 
makes it look different. Like the fact that one place does not look the same as the other is super, super helpful. And again, it just enlarges it and it makes it feel like a really fully lived in universe. So yeah, in terms of world building, for sure, I think Rings of Power, you can see like how far that they are like striving for they're they're, yeah. they're going for scale they're really going for scale yeah, yeah. and like the the epic of epic fantasy exactly yeah, yeah and then house of the dragon it it is smaller it's like primarily about you know this family this mm-hmm. court by nature that is more constrained uh so i think it just by dint of like choosing that story to focus on that is like really what they're sort of stuck with yeah, um yeah not that it's necessarily has to be bad because it it's the story that they're trying to tell yeah, but in terms strokes. of just like yeah. yeah in terms of just like sheer like sort of grandeur like uh rings of power i think definitely has the advantage over that yeah for sure in terms of characters uh just mm-hmm. the the ensemble cast slash the body of characters that we have because they both have a healthy amount of people mm-hmm. to get stuck into how do you think they compare that way I think in this case, I'm going to have to give the edge slightly to House of the Dragon, mm. just because each character, I think, is kind of interesting in its own way. And yeah. they are, each character is played, um, like, it's a stacked cast. They have very competent actors playing yeah, these characters. True. That is true. Um, Rings of Power, I think you could say, or I could say that for at least half of them. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, but there mm-hmm. are some characters I just, can't help like i just don't really care about them and it's not helped i think by the very sort of again like with this thing of we're doing like the epic sort of large-scale fantasy yeah the the writing for some of them it like the dialogue is just naturally they're kind of putting it in this more old yeah yeah self-serious kind of more old-fashioned way yeah nothing wrong with that necessarily but if if an actor doesn't quite have the I think like gravitas to yes. pull it off, then it comes across um, a little bit too simple in some cases. Yes, I think I think of Bronwyn when you say that. And yeah, the actress mm-hmm. that plays her is great; she's doing her best. But I do do not care about yeah. whatever it is that she's going through. You know, some of them are much better than others. Like I think the guy that plays during the fourth is am- is amazing. Um, yeah, and there's again there's like a cartoonish way that he does that um, because mm-hmm. dwarves are the fucking best um out of <laughs> out of the entire middle earth but yeah it's I, I get what you mean i do i do agree that in terms of casting and in terms of um just characters in general there's something a little bit more nuanced a little bit more obviously adult about the way that house of the dragon deals with it i also think house of the dragon needs them to be like that otherwise the writing definitely falls short um mm-hmm. a, a lot of the writing i think is carried on the back to the actors in this it, um, yeah it's very much um yeah yeah it, it's it's a character sort of based show and it is like thankfully like whoever does the casting for for hbo and like they are very good at finding the right actors some of them yeah people we know some of them like kind of out of more ex- obscure or like character driven roles yeah yeah yeah. Um, yeah like you can see this game of thrones too like they really found the right people to play for sure yeah everyone. i mean with both shows they have the lucky pick of um british and welsh actors who are all yeah. great yeah no i mean casting is everything it really is um, yeah so finally in terms of like larger themes how this piques your interest yeah. if it's up your alley which one of them is is more up your alley out of the two? Like, if you, I, I mean, I hate to do this to you. If you had to pick one and the other oh, one had damn. to go, which one would it be? Yeah, a very hard question because they do really serve like, like I think we mentioned, 
kind of two different parts of like the fantasy diet on a purely like per minute basis of am i enjoying the show Mm -hmm. i think currently i'm still a little bit more into house the dragon Mm. just in terms of pure like entertainment it's just really fun to watch yeah but i think there is potential as we progress for rings of power ultimately yeah for as it you know increases its scope as it gets deeper into the characters as more things happen yeah um, there's potential too for like Rings of Power to to edge out House of the Dragon for me, but yeah. currently like House of the Dragon in terms of pure like permanent enjoyment, still winning it by like a, a hair for me. Yeah. What about you, Pauline? So it's tough because they're both cash grabs to me, and because of that, they're both yeah, like you said, it's both different stuff. I think part of what I don't care about House of the Dragon is do like I don't care who ascends the throne i don't care like i'm not at the point where i care um maybe i will care one day who's to say and then same with rings of power is like i i ultimately don't really care if if they win out or not obviously we know how that ends because of the film so there's that that is something else and i guess it's just hanging out in the world i feel more entertained by rings of power Mm -hmm. um part of it is because i think I grew up on Turkish telenovelas where two women that fucking hate each other and do whatever they can to hurt the other person is so common. Uh, I'm a little bit tired by that narrative, um, but it ultimately is, like you said, it's also entertaining and I'm still going to watch it. But if I had to get rid of one, I would get rid of House of the Dragon, if I'm being really real, Mm -hmm. just because I think Rings of Power provides something that House of the Dragon doesn't. So that's me, ultimately. Fair. Yeah. Fair. We would love to hear your thoughts. Anybody listening, please definitely let us know if w- which way you fall. Um, we'll probably do some kind of like Twitter poll at some point. Yeah, um, maybe like a, a Twitter poll and maybe an Instagram story poll. So yeah. follow us on either of those platforms. Yeah, yeah, Criticism yeah. is dead. Yeah, for sure. And if you are watching anything that you think we should check out, please let us know at criticismisdead at gmail.com or just at us or DM us at criticismisdead on Twitter and Instagram. We're going to have some extended show notes in here. So many good writers have written so many good things about the two of these just because it's so much in the, you know, the cultural conversation right now. So we will add those links into our substack uh plus more um at criticismisdead.substack.com it's so good to be back as always <laughs> thank you so much for listening please rate and review us on apple Podcasts with five stars and maybe tell a friend about us um because we love we love homegrown things out here we will see you next week yay bye criticism is dead is produced by pelin keskin Lu and jenny chichong our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Liu.